We have a guest speaker, David Borger German. Last name spelled like German, pronounced German. Could we say it together? German. Yes, excellent. David comes from um, Iowa City Sanctuary Community Church. I think it's our favorite church other than our own church. AD and Tom Wessing with David are pastoring that place. So it's kind of fun because if you like church like this, there aren't many churches like this in, in the country, and Iowa City is like the place. So I would feel totally at home at the Sanctuary Community Church. And I listen to their podcast, and I listen to David, and it's good. And we're not going to bring a lame speaker up here as a guest speaker. So welcome our non-lame guest speaker. Well, after, am I on? We good? Glowing introduction. Thank you, Ken. That's, that's one I'm taking. I was just about to. I get how this is done. Um, hi, everyone. I'm delighted to be here. I've known Ken and Emily for several years um, and have enormous, enormous respect for who they are and all the good stuff they're doing in the world, including helping lead this uh, great congregation. Uh, so it's, it's an honor to be here. Thank you for having me. Uh, we are going to look at a story that contains one of Jesus's favorite topics. This favorite topic of Jesus is money. <laughs> Money. The Gospels are full of stories of Jesus and money. Him telling stories about money, him interacting with people who have money or who don't have money, and him telling people what to do with their money in rather blunt ways. Money uh, is a rather elastic metaphor. It can kind of mean anything, like capitalism or God. Money affects pretty much everything in our lives, from our livelihoods to politics to war to Michigan football that can feel like war to, you know, marriage, religion, so much and everything. Now, one of the big issues related to money that Jesus interacts with is justice. Okay, how does money relate to justice? Are there just ways of dealing with money? And what about unjust systems and the unearned benefits and privileges that some people gain because of those unjust systems? Well, that's what we're going to consider this morning by looking at a parable of Jesus. Uh, but first, I want to tell you about some of my own growing up experiences and learning about money. Okay, so some of my earliest memories are of me and my siblings going to the bank with my mom. And my mom would drive up in our big van uh, or suburban, whatever we had at the time, and four kids, you know, it was fun, sort of. We fought a lot in the car. Be quiet. Okay, so we're driving up to the bank, but the bank was a magical place because my mom would drive up and she'd put little pieces of paper in this tube-like thing and it would be magically transported with this whizzing sound to a person behind a glass away from us who could talk to my mom and he would do some magic trick and send back money yes. with suckers. Okay, I mean, this is magical stuff when you're a kid. I mean, adults are like gods. They get money from magic tubes. I mean, it's amazing. Now, some of the lessons I received about money are through the stories that my parents told. Uh, one of the oft-repeated stories came from my dad. 
Uh, my dad grew up in a family where money was tight. And I would ask him later on, Dad, did you grow up poor? And he would kind of shrug his shoulders because to my dad, poor is a word of comparison. And in, at his uh, small rural town in southern Indiana, everyone he knew was basically in the same financial bracket or whatever. Uh, so he didn't know. They, he knew money was tight, but he would not have used the word poor. They just knew they didn't have a lot of money, and they practiced virtues like frugality and thrift, practicality, and hard work. And these were the virtues that were emphasized probably above every other virtue. Now, on weekends, my dad and his parents would go to his grandparents' farm to work. And this is where my grandmother uh, grew up. And the emphasis on the stories was always on work, hard work. And I would ask my grandmother, you know, what was life uh, like growing up on the farm? And she would always say, well, it was hard work. And then she would launch into a story. On those work weekends, my dad would have to do all kinds of tasks. He would have to clean the chicken coop, which meant confronting his fears of the, aggress of the aggressive chickens. Some of them can be nasty. Uh, he had to work the gardens, watering, pulling weeds, harvesting when the time came. And then there were a host of other miscellaneous tasks and errands to be done. He was not paid for this labor, though he remembers being rewarded with the best homemade desert desserts this side of the Mississippi. You know, it was fresh rhubarb and strawberries picked from the garden, baked into dessert, loaded with fresh cream. Now, this constellation of stories related to my dad's growing up, money's tight, working on the farm, hard work, had a number of lessons about money and about values in general, right? They were the importance of family, of overcoming or confronting fear, of practical living, and of course, the intrinsic connection between hard work and financial security or prosperity. But there's an enormous issue that my dad's stories never touched on, justice. Justice. And as I've revisited these stories, I've become more curious about issues related to justice. For example, my dad never told me how his family came to possess the land on which they farmed. Why and how did my dad's family come to own it? Who lived on the land before his family generations ago? What were the political, social, and economic systems that factored into my dad's family having this land, farming it, and then being able to pass on that wealth to their children and their children's children? As I've asked these questions, I've come to see my family's history as deeply intertwined with the history of the United States more broadly. The land was, in fact, inhabited by other people before my white European ancestors came. The Osage, the Miami, and the Shawnee. Three indigenous groups of people all had some claim to my dad's family's land at different times, but they were forcibly removed or killed so that European settlers, my family, could occupy and own that land. By the way, anyone know uh, which indigenous groups had access and claim to this land we're on now? Okay, do the research. Homework. There you go. That's one. Yep. 
Good, okay, some of you got it, yeah. Let's do some work with that. Another dynamic uh, related to justice in my family's farm is that my great-grandparents and their parents were considered to be white. Because my ancestors were considered white, they were allowed access to land that was denied to other people. They could buy the land, and in some cases, people who were considered to be white were given land grants. So imagine it, free land. Free land, because you're considered to be white. But the people not considered to be white by society, out of luck. And the benefits and advantages are then passed on to the children, or they are not passed on to the children, depending on which side of the coin you happen to be on. And we know that justice or injustice is cumulative unless corrected. Now, speaking of injustice, that same magical bank that sent my mom money and magic tubes, that bank participated in denying bank loans to people of color while awarding loans to white people, even when the households were in the same income bracket. My parents indirectly earned interest from that unjust system, and I've benefited from it. Now, as I've wrestled with some of this family history and the history of the United States, I've had to confront this uncomfortable truth about my own socioeconomic status. I have a lot of unearned privileges and advantages that I have inherited or have received because of injustice and unjust systems. Oppression and war and unjust laws have all played a significant role in the making of me. Now, what's complicated is that some of the reasons I do have the inheritance I have is because of some very, very good virtues. Virtues that we can celebrate and honor. Virtues like thriftiness and frugality and hard work and generosity. These good virtues play just as much of a role, or at least a big role, as the large role that the systemic injustice played, right? So I want to invite us this morning to wrestle with those pretty big tensions uh, and, and to bring this before God. Now, I don't know how much the tensions I'm naming resonate with you, okay? So for some of us who may be facing really hard financial times right now, we're probably not thinking about those tensions. We're just thinking, well, we've got to make ends meet. I've got to pay rent, okay? So whatever. Um, others of us may find ourselves in a little bit more financial security or prosperity, so maybe we are asking these kinds of questions. So I, I hope something will be of value, but I just want to acknowledge we're, we may have very, very different places in the room. Okay, so let's turn to Jesus. Um, we're going to look at a parable from Jesus, and it is a cheeky, ironic story. Okay, so listen carefully. This comes from Luke chapter 16, starting verse 1. Jesus said to his disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was squandering his property. So he summoned him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Give me an accounting of your management, because you cannot be my manager any longer. Then the manager said to himself, What will I do? Now that my master's taking the position away from me, I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I've decided what to do, so that when I'm dismissed as manager, people may welcome me into their homes. <laughs> so summoning his master's debtors one by one, he asked the first, How much do you owe my master? He answered, A hundred jugs of olive oil. 
He said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 50. Then he asked another, how much do you owe? He replied, a hundred containers of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and make it 80. And his master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the children of this age, I tell you, are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unjust wealth, so that when it's gone, they may welcome you into eternal homes. Okay. So let's talk about this manager. This guy. This guy. Okay. This manager has come under the rich master's scrutiny because of some very suspicious and shady business dealings. All right. And the rich master demands a full account of the manager before he fires him. So the manager goes to his office, gets an idea. He's going to call one by one uh, his master's debtors, and he begins canceling part of their debt. Now, what's hilarious is the, ma- the manager has no idea what is owed to his master. He's like, how much do you owe again? Like, he doesn't even have a list. He's, like, he's so bad at business, he could be president, okay? <laughs> Hashtag sorry, not sorry, okay. So the manager has to ask them, okay, remind me, right, he has, remind me how much you owe, and then he starts slashing the debts. Now put yourself in the position of the rich master, okay? You, you own a, a large company, you're the CEO or president, whatever, and your CFO, you find out, has been slashing the debts that are owed to you and your company. How do you feel? Messed up, angry, right? You want this person arrested for fraud. But here's where the story takes an odd twist. Jesus says that the master commends the dishonest manager. He praises him. Well done. You've been shrewd. You've been wise. And then on top of that odd twist, Jesus seems to be offering the manager as a model for his disciples to imitate. He wraps up the story by saying, I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unjust wealth. In other words, this guy, do what this guy did. Wow. Now, I got to tell you, it's tempting to end our message right here and just apply this. Like, let's all go out, defraud the world, get rich and make friends. And when people ask, why are you doing that? It's like, it's simple. The Bible tells us so, right? Okay, so what is Jesus doing with this story? Let me offer a bit of cultural background that will help. Okay, so in Jesus's time and culture, when a loan was made, it was not figured out in terms of the money. It was turned, it was made in terms of a good, like olive oil or wheat. So that's what we see in the story. This is what they owe. So they didn't actually borrow 100 jugs. They borrowed a some amount of money, and it was figured in terms of olive oil or wheat. Now, on top of that, here's a tricky part. Charging interest on a loan was illegal, and it's illegal from the Torah, the laws of Moses. So here's one example from Deuteronomy 23, 19. God speaking through Moses to the people, you shall not charge interest to your brother or sister, interest on money or food or anything that is lent out. So making money off of money is illegal. It's unjust. Now the loophole that they figured out at Jesus' time is, well, if we make it in terms of goods, we'll just tack on a little more of the goods. And just do a little more math there. Hashtag math. 
and, uh, and we'll call it good. And people felt like, that's, that's enough. We can, we can live with that, okay? <laughs> like, how is that? I don't, we have rules today like this, right? And we just, everyone kind of knows it's just nothing, but anyway, we live with it. Okay, so what's happening in the story, a lot of commentators tell us, is that the manager's sitting down with these debtors and saying, okay, you owe 100 jugs of olive oil, make it 50. He is taking off the interest on the original loan. This is genius because it places the rich master in a bind. He can't say anything. If he says, wait, wait, I'm being cheated. Like, what do you mean? The loan was 50 jugs of olive oil. It's like, well, I don't know. You know, he, he can't say anything. Otherwise, he'll be admitting to practicing something illegal, charging interest. So the master's been tricked, and he really is congratulating the manager on this shrewd, wise thing. Meanwhile, the manager's got all kinds of new friends, right? <laughs> the, the people who owe the, the master money are like, this guy, new buddy, my new pal, come over for dinner anytime. So this cultural background helps us because we can see Jesus is making a dramatic point, not about dishonesty exactly, but about acting shrewdly in the midst of an already unjust, compromised financial system. Jesus then uses the story as a springboard into saying a bit more about money. And I'd like to share that now. This is picking up now in verse 10 of chapter 16. He says this, Whoever is faithful in very little is faithful also in much. And whoever is unjust in a very little is also unjust in much. If then you have not been faithful with unjust wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful what belongs to another, who will give you what is your own? No slave can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Boom! Mic drop. Now Jesus uses this phrase that I want to pick up on. He uses it a couple times in our story this morning, and it is the phrase unjust wealth. Now, there's some disagreement in the commentators uh, about what this phrase means. You know, Jesus, some commentators argue that Jesus is using it with a very particular specific application, you know, pointing out that the manager, he's being tricky, but he's still being a little dishonest or something. Other commentaries say, no, 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 hold on. We think Jesus is using this as a springboard lesson and balloons out to talk about all wealth and all wealth as potentially compromised or all wealth as potentially unjust in some way. Now, this is not exactly a reassuring idea when we start to think about, okay, all wealth is unjust. Could that be the case? But let's just, let's just sit with that for a minute, okay, and consider that. Let me go back to my dad's stories, okay? Growing up, working on the farm. Was the wealth of that land just? Right, well, if we consider on a personal, individual level, we might look at the, the, the people, the virtues practiced, as I've named. You know, they worked hard, they were frugal, practical, they were generous with their neighbors, helped each other out. But if we look at the land and wealth they enjoyed, on another scale, we remember that that land and wealth belonged to indigenous groups of people who were forcibly removed or killed. 
that land was made available to them, their ancestors, because they were believed to be white. So from that perspective, is the land just or unjust? Now, I engage with the same kind of reflection on my own money and wealth today, my own story, you know, and I kind of do the same thing in the tensions. Like, on on an individual level, I I seek to practice the quote-unquote good virtues that I see Jesus modeled, you know, virtues of giving, tithing, uh, being generous, uh, recognizing wealth and poverty and coming along to assist the most vulnerable, empowering the most vulnerable, At the same time, I've also come to name the huge systemic factors that have played into my socioeconomic status today. My race, my gender, the class I was born into, my sexual orientation, and more. All these have afforded me advantages, financial advantages that other people have not received. Now, I don't know about you, but when I start to examine this stuff uh, on, on sort of that macro level, I, it can mess with me, okay? I, I feel just unsettled. I feel anxious. I have a hard time naming or seeing what am I responsible for, what am I not responsible for, because it's this big, complex mess that I didn't really choose into, but I'm here, so what do I do, you know? I have anxiety, I have frustration with how the world is, how I happen to find it. There are two things I want to suggest to us that I think can help with us sorting through these tensions. And there are two things that are evident in our story today. So the first is community. Being a part of a community of learners, particularly learning about money and justice. So we see this in the story. You know, Jesus is speaking this parable to his disciples. His disciples, the group of people, this community of people committed to learning the ways of Jesus. And because they're committed, they are going to have to wrestle with these issues, these big issues, tensions around wealth and complex systems and their responsibility as participants in it. That is our invitation today, to be a part of a community. Uh, where we can wrestle together, we can wrestle individually, but where we can both get to the root of our own stories and share that with other people, but also hear the experiences of other people. Because every one of us has a different you know, way we've engaged with the systems or have experienced uh, maybe the advantages or the disadvantages of those systems. So as we hear each other's stories, we learn and we are better able to confront the system of injustice that Jesus calls us to confront. And then secondly, I have been helped by wrestling with that final line that Jesus says, you cannot serve God and wealth. And I just think, why not? Uh, so, I mean, confessional moment here. Like, what? man, that's terrible, you know? I kind of wish we could. But let's take that seriously. And I hear Jesus inviting me to take that seriously. David, you can't serve God and wealth. So what are you going to do? And I think, I don't know. So, but I hear Jesus' call and invitation to bring that to God, to come to God, to vulnerably express the different parts of myself and what's going on in here. 
There are parts of myself that feel hyper-responsible, you know, that want to just fix it all and come in with a flamethrower to the world systems that are awful, right? There's parts of myself that feel like, oh, I don't know what to do. Or there's parts of myself that just want to throw my hands up and just like, whatever, I'm going to go to Starbucks and buy a coffee. Who cares, you know? I do, you know, to all of these parts of myself, I hear God's invitation. David, come to me. I can teach you my ways. I can bring healing where you need healing. I can help restore and integrate those parts of yourself. And when I hear God's invitation in that, friends, I just, I feel empowered. I feel more liberation to really step out into the world and say, okay, I am going to commit to community. I'm going to, again, commit to learning and being a learner and hearing people's stories, hearing ways I may be advantaged, hearing other ways other people may not be advantaged and vice versa, whatever. And I feel, like I feel empowered to express, embody, and cultivate the values Jesus invites us to cultivate and empower us to live we have an opportunity, friends, to take seriously the massive tensions around money and justice. So let's again today to commit to that task and come before God and ask for God's help as we do so. Amen. Amen. I want to take a moment to just have, engage in a simple prayer practice uh, over this material. So I invite you to get comfortable however you'd like to. The invitation I want to invite is just to bring before God what, whatever it is we experienced in thinking about these big systems of money and justice. So if you're on the, the poor end of that right now, um, that's okay. Just You're welcome to name that. If you find yourself, oh, I've, I actually have some sizable advantages or whatever in this moment, that's what we're going to bring before God. Please join me in prayer. God, we hear that phrase, unjust wealth. And we have a growing awareness of how much that is true. And given that, we present ourselves before you and ask for your help today. So I invite you now just to take a moment quietly to name whatever it is you'd like to name about wealth, where you're at. Just notice whatever feelings are coming up as you're thinking about wealth. If you want to name those feelings before God, you can. Notice how God may be responding in this moment. And what's God's invitation for you to choose to be shrewd and wise with the wealth you find yourself possessing? How might you work towards justice and peace? Amen.